Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Gusto, go, set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Hopefully, unlike the Game of Thrones series finale, this podcast doesn't universally suck this week. <laughs> Real quick, since it is a pop culture phenomenon, I know we don't get too sidetracked we don't. on the show these days. Real quick, Matt, did you watch it? Yeah, any did. any random thoughts on the Game of Thrones series? Finale? Oh, I've been an off and on Thrones. I was uh, full into the first season, but then never fully caught up, but then was always around it. So I know the storylines, but no, I wasn't heavily emotionally tied in. Some people very mm. vitriolic about this past season. Rod, Rod, being my crazy when I say I didn't hate it, I just, it just felt rushed. Uh, well, no, it, it was rushed. Uh, I won't go deep into it. The uh, the showrunners for HBO uh, were the ones who wanted to end it. Remember, HBO wanted to keep it going, and they yeah. said they had to they they wanted to end it right away. The uh, the original author of the Song of Ice and Fire books, which I have not read, which is the show is based on, he didn't finish right. the latest version of the books before they did the last epi- the last season, which was the first season. That was not based on the books. It didn't have the books as a guideline. So you had them freestyling without George R. R. Martin's genius because um, he wasn't involved in that process. The books are going to be completely different from the ending of the show. He already said that. I mean, completely different. Jon Snow, everybody, different things are happening because he had a different process. And the showrunners from HBO are now writing, or at least they're involved in the creation of a Star Wars epic, one of the latest Star Wars epics. So they've already moved on emotionally. So my going back to my initial initial point, before the season started, my Black Stradamus prediction, everybody was going to hate this season hmm. because people hate finales because finales are basically the show breaking up with you. Yeah. And nobody likes being broken up with. And there are no good breakups. It, it, it's rare. Every now and then there are mash. Um, like people say Breaking Bad was a really good finale. So maybe that's but, – but Seinfeld and – uh, how I, you know, how I met your mother and Sopranos, all these iconic shows. They usually have bad breakups. Having a good breakup is like people want breakup sex. Like breakup sex never happens. Mm-hmm. Like there's no. I wish it did. I wish uh, you know what. And we would have everybody would love breakups if the, the you know what I mean the ritual <laughs> You're breaking was. up all the time. <laughs> all right, you know what we're breaking up. Damn it! So let's have this breakup sex and then you. Oh, we are done. And you're like, all right, let's do there, it. <laughs> no, there's there's been there's been some where I just pa- I just could have passed on that altogether. Just you know, and you know that's a good point. You can pass on a breakup sex. My point being, there are no, there's no breakups that you know that 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 are that good where right. you have breakups. Sex. Break, breakups are bad, so people hate them, and even for the most iconic shows. So that's kind of my point on it, and people hate it. The, 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 the lowest-rated Game of Thrones shows were this season, and they were bad, but I don't think they were as bad as everybody was yeah. you know, throwing out there on Twitterverse. You know Twitterverse is a universe of hatred. Like so. Mac Brown in Texas, no good breakups. 
No easy way to do that. There's no real easy way to do it, man. You know what I mean? So I think people it was people were addicted to that show, man. It was yeah. and it was this was the Twitter age too. This was a this is one of the only shows that we experienced hmm. all together in the social media age. I don't know if it's gonna happen again. It reminded me of sports yeah. where you had to experience it at the time. I know the spoilers thing and all that, but I can't remember a show in the social media age that reminds me of uh, of following the NBA finals or following the NFL True. playoffs. That's how Game of Thrones was to me. So yeah. we'll recap there, Rod. I liked yeah. your analogy you used on uh, the, your show talking about the Warriors in pre-KD and post-KD with the writers in Game of Thrones. It's very similar to that. It and is. then when you just brought up uh, the modern Twitter age, it sort of reminds me of the how LeBron's career's been followed compared to Jordan's Michael career. Jordan. The on. nostalgic, it's great, but it wasn't because every single minute was scrutinized or mm. it needed the hope. So it's sort of just mirror exactly. society. I think we're going to be having this type of analysis for most things societally if we continue you to do it that no, way. No, I agree. Yeah, well, we overanalyze it instead of just enjoying it. We didn't right. enjoy it. We should have just enjoyed the finale. Just enjoy I actually it. enjoyed it because I, I wasn't did. emotionally invested because I yeah, had sort of petered off. In people between. hate, and you know what they did? They they did a bad job of writing it the last season. They needed George R. R. Martin. They didn't have his genius, man. He's the genius behind it yeah, all. I think yeah. I, the only other show because I like Breaking Bad. I didn't get into until like it was over, and then kind of binged it. Uh, yeah. the, only, the only show I think that I watched that I actually watched the finale like in this era. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, which is a show I dug a whole lot. I have a good friend. I have friends who are into that. I never and, got uh, into it. I, no, I really, really like this series finale. So I thought yeah. Sons of Anarchy it t- tied up a lot of loose ends. There you go. It's all so, about the loose ends, man. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Speaking of not really loose ends, that was a horrible segue. This is going to be a bad segue. But as we get back into Texas and we talk about social media, Rod, you know one mm-hmm. thing that's popular in this social media era that we live in? Oh, it's polls. It's lists. It's mm-hmm. best ofs. And yeah. especially this time of year, when really that's all we have to do is come up with you're creating content. You're love lists. You're planning, yeah. People so like I got tasked with the guys at 24-7 and Trey Scott and the guys over there doing a wonderful job uh, with our video stuff, tasked me with, hey, rank the five best players in school history, one to five. Texas? Yeah. Damn. Well, and I was like, well, I oh, well. it's not that hard. It's not mm. that hard. It's pretty easy now that I think about it. And I'll give you my top five, and I'll start at number one. And really, this is how I did it, right? This was my thought process, Rod. To well, me, one one through three are in a group by themselves, yeah. and I think you can rank them in any order. And I don't know that anybody would argue with the order. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a gap, and I think number four is, is by himself. Yeah. In the category. If you're thinking of the same guy. And then when about. you get to five, I think that's when the debate starts. Ooh, this is good. Okay? I debated five. All right. So my top three were in Easy. order. Number one, I went Earl Campbell, number one. Heisman winners. Yeah. Number two, I went Vince Young. Oh. Okay. And number three, I went Ricky Williams. Ooh, now again, over Ricky. I think it's those three, and then you can kind of put them <laughs> nice. in any order. If okay. somebody said, "Well, Vince Young should be number one," I wouldn't disagree with that. If you think you can make an argument for Ricky Williams being number one, I was yeah. you can make and an argument for either disagree. one of them number one. Right? Exactly. You could. You could yeah. Number four for me, there's no <laughs> question about it. Number four for me, no, no doubt is Tom, is Tommy Nobis. I had Cole. okay I last week. <laughs> me and Jeff had this I last week because Jeff, before the show last week, asked me this question, I like, and I was oh, like, "Man, you oh. got those three, and then the four or five, But I was like, I was I, "Maybe I'm disrespecting, but there just aren't going to be Cole. many middle when, linebackers taking first overall anymore." So, true. like, when you put those He's, accolades there, like but, I told, so I the four and five are in their own group too. It's oh, just yeah. it's like I told where Matt. you divvy it I was thinking Cole too. No, it's like I haven't done the research. It's like I told Matt though. There's there's it's going to have to be a rare cat for a, a Mike linebacker to go number one in the draft ever again. He's a rare <laughs> cat. 
Like, no doubt. Uh, but I just, look, when you talk about defense at Texas and all the great defenders, you talk about what one number is synonymous with great defense at Texas. It's 60. 60, baby. And, and where does that all start? Where do you trace it back to? You trace it back to Tommy Novus. No, I know. I agree with you. But That's true, too. But so to me, it's four and, and five. And at number, at number five, which to me is really where the debate starts, I went with Colt McCoy at number five. Ooh, now, I, people got on to me I saying. I was saying debate begins before that, then. <laughs> pe- people got on to me saying, well, how do you not put Bobby Lane at number five or James Street was undefeated? <laughs> Those are they're great players. It's like if you leave somebody off a top five list, it's like assuming, well, you think they're garbage. I don't think no, Bobby Lane was garbage. Yeah. I don't think James Street was garbage. It's like you're talking about a program like Texas. You're going to have a long list of great players and narrowing it down to five. Once you get to that bottom part of the top five, it can be pretty tough, and it's all subjective. That's just my top five. Yeah, my your top. research led you there. Yeah, you, know, you got to take. You got to go with the research. I've been places where, I'm like, man, I didn't really think this would be. I've done that that DBU ranking, and I'm like, damn. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this guy was going to be that high, but doing the research, this dude is this dude's a beast. And it's really? all about what qualifications to use. Like, Rod, yeah. I know you weigh, like, All-American honors. All-American in... meant a lot in mind. Like, where you rank in, like, the statistics of, you know, DB history, DBU history, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we'll, I'll go around real quick again. My top five, and you can find this video at Horns 24-7. It's floating around everywhere, 24-7 Sports. I think it's on our Facebook page. I believe it's on our Twitter account also. My top five, one to five. Earl Campbell, Vince Young, Ricky Williams, Tommy Nobis, Colt McCoy. Matt, what would be your top five if you were putting it together? I uh, probably would have I, – I, I thought about it last week, but still I think your top three is about right. I probably would have dropped down – I see it's hard to drop down Earl, but with the Vince and the national championship thing, it seemed like that would be fitting. But the long-term career, it's like Ricky – Overpassed Earl, so I still I would be the guy that would anger everybody and just say they're one A, one B, one C. Let's move on, and then Colt four, and then Nobis. I'd give him five. Rod B, what say you? I would go with uh, Earl number one. Uh, I'll go Vince two, Ricky three. I'll go Colt number four. Um, yeah, I'll go with Nobis at five. I mean, because I think you make a great point about you're talking about greatest players, defensive players in UT history. And, I mean, hell, it it, it starts with him almost every time. I mean, there are the guys in the conversation. Ends. Yeah, but. Johnny Johnson's in that conversation. Johnny Johnson's Jerry in that Gray, conversation. Derek Hager's Johnson. in that conversation. Um, man, yeah, but you're right. It's, it's all about him. And here's why I went with, with Earl Campbell. And, you know, Jake Rowe from our Georgia site did the same thing with Georgia and ranked the top five Georgia players. And Horsher Walker was number one on that list. And I started thinking about, you know, you think about that line of running backs yeah. in college football in the 80s where it's <laughs> it's Herschel Walker, it's George Rogers, it's Mike Rozier, Bo Jackson, guys that just had this rare blend of, like, size and power and speed. That all started with Earl Campbell. I mean, yes, you mm. could take it back to Jim Brown, but yeah, that true. line right there in the mid-'70s through probably the late-'80s Earl Campbell to me was the first in that line. I might be missing somebody. I know I don't. No disrespect to Archie Griffin or anybody else in there. Billy but when Simpson. you talk about yeah, elite big time running backs, to me, Marcus that Dupree. line really starts with Earl Campbell. Yeah. No, I'm with you. 
I, 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 that's why Earl I, Earl's my number one. Yeah, Earl would be up there. Earl's too. number one. He's the first one. It's just Ricky was just, the '90s version. Like when you look on paper, if like say we were detached and many generations later, and you look at the accolades, Ricky may match up better because the numbers are better. But with you understand what Earl was for Texas and at that time, it really is one that there is no Ricky if there is an Earl. You have type to idea. see Earl Campbell play. Even in the NFL, Earl Campbell mm. stats don't really match up to a Hall of Fame career. They don't. Everybody who voted Earl Campbell into the Hall of Fame just saw him play. And when you saw him play, you go, okay, well, I've never seen anybody play the game like that. And everybody goes, well, you never saw Jim Brown. It's like, well, then he's the best I've ever seen since Jim Brown. <laughs> then, you know what there I mean? You, you had never seen anybody run the ball like that right. and punish defenders. So Earl's number one just because the eye test alone. Right. You know what I mean? So here's the thing I was thinking about. And Matt and I got into this a little bit last week, Rod, before you got into the studio. To me, where it gets really interesting when you're doing a list of top Texas players, like we said, there's that group of three kind of at the top, and then Mm -hmm. Tommy Novus and Colt McCoy are kind of in that second group. Six through ten is really where it gets interesting because that's that's when it gets completely subjective and you can have some really good arguments when you start ranking six through ten if you're doing a list of top players. Like if you were doing it right, who who would be your number six? Mm, It would probably be... And Johnny Johnson might be number six. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to go down the list here. But, I mean, <laughs> if, I think he's, like, number one on my DBU rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's DBU, I'm just trying to think if it's some he defensive a, ends. He was a two-time unanimous All-American. You know, wide receivers. Like, I don't think there's another po- anybody at any other position that I think is – that I would hold in higher acclaim than – Johnny Johnson. So I think Johnny Johnson would be six. And that was exactly what Jeff, that, that was his instinct. And I immediately yeah. was like, yep, no, that's about right. Like, if you want to go six through 10, because you had the people like you who said, Jeff, talking about Bobby Lane, or then you have the James Street was undefeated. Or if you want to just start looking at guys like Derek Johnson, who was like sort of the modern day Nobis for this generation's group, or even the Iraq Poe, or the, the guys like Sims and Major. Like, yeah. those were the type of guys you can throw in. But no, if you're looking at like a clear cut there's a big drop off from five yeah. it's like Johnny you fall John- off of mount rushmore and then you have that group next below them yeah i mean i know like a lot of other dbs get a lot of love but man johnny johnson's career was unbelievable like it's he's one of those guys where i, I didn't originally when i came up with the dbu rankings i didn't have him as high as i think i had him probably in the top six or seven i was you know i was still i was you know i was one of those recency bias guy guys i'm thinking about, about earlier that, i'm thinking about jerry gray and i look back i'm like Man, Johnny Johnson was a freak. A two-time a unanimous, unanimous All-American. Dude, he was a beast. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think Johnny's up there. And then I guess after that, I'll man, I, I might go Bobby Lane after that. I, I, I gotta go. Don't you almost have to go Bobby Lane by default? <laughs> it's one of those things I feel disrespectful. Like you can't, you I feel, can't I feel have. Like a... I'm disrespecting him, putting him at seven. Right. Yeah, I feel like I'm That's what we need an old right. person in the I feel room. Like I'm to already help us. disrespecting him, but I think I would put him at seven. But to to your point, like if you're gonna call your, if you're gonna brand yourself as DBU, Rodden, you were with Dwayne Aquino when that was Dwayne Aquino's goal to rebrand Texas yeah. as DBU. If you're gonna call yourself DBU, how can you leave out like the Godfather of DBU off of a list? Yeah, I agree with you. You know, no yeah. disrespect to Noble Doss. Yeah, but. You might have two of those guys in the top ten. I mean, yeah, because Gray might creep into the top ten too. Yeah, you're gonna. If you, all you can go, you can go with some other guys at DVU if you want to. Like, uh, you know, Huff Daddy could be in that conversation, I guess. If you so, want if you're to. doing the next five, I think Johnny Johnson and Bobby Lane to me are, are no brainers. 
Uh, Derek Johnson to me is mm. is probably in there. Man, yeah, I forgot about DJ. How could I forget about DJ? Yeah, he's right there. Oh man, really? Yeah. So DJ's DJ hired you. Ha- you have hired in Huff Daddy. Yeah, I okay. would. Yeah. Okay. It's close though, because we even brought up Huff. We brought up even at the bottom part. If we were to extend it to fifteen, a guy like Aaron Ross, we haven't even mentioned a Shipley or a Roy oh, Williams yeah. of the, the receivers. The wide so. receivers at Texas are down on the list. I I, I do. I think that because yeah. there's so many great players. That's crazy to say that. <laughs> I feel like I'm disrespecting wide House, and of course I'm a DB, so it comes natural. <laughs> but I, I right? Am I wrong? Like you go. Hell, there's some cool D. There was a D lineman or two that may get up there before I think a wide receiver. Like there's Casey Hampton's tackle you know numbers. I mean, like, I mean honestly, if, I, like, if I'm, I'm saying, it's like, it's like, it's like one or two D linemen. If like, I'm man. doing, if I'm doing a top ten, Casey Hampton's probably in my top ten. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I hate to disrespect the White House, but I mean that's why Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey have a chance to be all time great already, right? Because yeah. like, well, this ain't that damn long. I mean, we had, the last first round draft pick at White House we had was Roy Williams in 2000. What four? Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like it's, it's, Thanks like, to you. Know you. I mean? We don't really produce that many like high-level wide receivers. I mean, they, they're good. They're great. I mean, Man. even guys have been taken in the top three rounds since then. It's like Lima Swede, Jordan Shipley, Jordan Shipley, Marquis Goodwin. Goodwin. I think that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's you know we, we you know it's gonna I think it's gonna get better. This class coming in is gonna be you know I mean, you, unbelievable. But I think they're down, man. The wideouts are down. Six, seven guys in school Take history. Take that wideout. Mm-hmm. Six or seven guys in school history that have had a, a thousand yard receiving season, and yeah. two of them are John Harris and Lil Jordan Humphrey. Which <laughs> yeah, no disrespect to those guys, but if you're putting a, together a list of the top players in school history, come on, man. Do either one of those guys they crack the top fifty? No. Oh, not John Harris. That's a great question. Does Lil Jordan Humphrey crack the top fifty? I'd have to do the research. You really have to start doing the research. He probably. Damn, that's a good I don't know. question. I was about to say Cause, that because no, I, I was surprised. Remember, I did my DBU rankings. I was surprised the guys like mm-hmm. you know, the, like Aaron Williams and you know how how low they end up grading. They said Earl my, Thomas because it just didn't stay that long. You know, Earl Thomas didn't even make it into my top four. I don't think because. Yeah. He just didn't stay long enough. If he'd have stayed that one more year, he'd have made well, mm-hmm. actually had two more years of eligibility, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. About, if he'd have stayed two more years, he'd have been the greatest DB in history of DBU. Uh, Earl Thomas is on my mm-hmm. DBU, Mount He's still, Rushmore. like, top five, I think. He's, actually, I think he was number five in the last time of the DBU rankings. Hell, who knows? I might I might pick, put him into the top four these days. Who knows? But my point is, when you start breaking it down, man, yeah, you're right. I mean, a guy like Lil' Jordan Humphrey, hell, man, he he's going to drop down on the list. I mean, I would argue that Quandre Diggs probably is higher up on the list than Lil Jordan Humphrey. Yeah. If, if you're doing an all-time career, list of yeah. great players, right? just he just contributed Texas. more. You know yeah. what I mean? Lil Jordan Humphrey had that one great year. Hell, look, Quandre Diggs put in work for four years and I think on the 48. LJ, mm-hmm. LJ gets more of a break, I think, if you probably look at where he stands, if you really were to do it and try to rank him. I think he gets more of a break because of what Texas accomplished in that one really good season he had. He does. He gets a lot Quan- of love for that. Quandre probably gets yeah. mired because Quandre wasn't a part of a team that won 10 games no. or played for, even though 13 they played for a conference championship. Yeah, John Harrison was. John Harrison gets no love for that 1,000-yard season. No. Nobody gives a damn. I was like, no. This was the worst 1,000-yard season in the history of Texas football. Well, it shows modern numbers. It because it's like, ah. Uh, you don't even remember that 1,000-yard season. When you think about the 1,000-yard receivers in yeah. Texas, I, you, you probably 
probably can stump almost every Texas fan because they would miss the John Harris. It's your like, looter oh, in the right. Yeah, because when, that's when, your thirty-point scorer on a sixteen-win <laughs> NBA yeah. team. We did it. Yeah, exactly. We like, did it on the show. They're playing from behind and got to yeah. throw it to somebody, like, and he's oh, out yeah. there because the rest yeah. suck. Oh, we, the Nets we, have a good player. Who gives a damn? We did it on the show. Angelo Russell. That's who John Harris. We did it on the show because, like, we were talking about LJ having a thousand-yard season. It's like, man, it's been a while. What, Shipley lost thousand yards? Like, oh, John Harris did it like four years ago. Everybody got like, oh, damn. You're That's right, why we, people forget that. about Deontay Foreman like, all the that time. That was another one I was going to bring up. Thank Deontay you, man. Foreman we didn't even syndrome. mention it. We did. We just forget it's him. True. forgot him. Like, 2,000 yards. You forget, right? You forget well, and, about and, and people are <laughs> like, man, what's the last time Texas had a back like Keontae Ager? What, like, like Jamal <laughs> Charles? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, like two years ago, <laughs> on the Dope yeah, Walker, the Dope Walker Award winner. Yeah, who, that was ago, like bro. some was like, writer yeah, in yeah, Dallas. Clarence, somebody did that. Like, it was Clarence. Somebody, yeah, Clarence. Hill it was Clarence, and I kind of called. But no, no, I, I, I feel him though because I, I, I forgot all about it too. I was like, and I'm a, I'm a team foreman guy. We were team foreman. But you're right. You're right. It's because the season sucks, and Longhorn fans they forget. It's like my no, my it's like my my big plays in my career. Yeah, right. They don't get a lot of love because they came in losing efforts. My pick six versus OU, the pick six versus Colorado, Big Twelve title game. It was like, nah, I don't like a damn about that, Babers. Yep. Shut up. They gave in losses. So, yeah, that's, that's what happens, man. We the just John, admitted we did forgot. We the John Harris syndrome. What are we calling it? We gonna it's the it? Charlie Strong syndrome. We just forgot that whole era. We just said, <laughs> like, it was from John Harris to, to, to Deontay right there. All of them. Shane Bouchelle was the first starter yeah. for a quarterback for 12 games since like, Jared Gilbert. Like, nah. nah, nah. Like, I know <laughs> – <laughs> Look, like you take Ricky Williams' career, right? This is how Heard you, you put things memory. in perspective. That is awesome. <clears throat> like you take Ricky Williams' career, and everybody mm. remembers his freshman year because that was the year Texas goes to College Station and beats A&M for the last Southwest Conference title. And they remember his sophomore year because that was the year Texas goes and wins the Big 12 when basically in the Big 12 championship game against Nebraska, Ricky was just kind of a fullback because Priest Holmes yeah. went nuts on oh, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then everybody remembers Ricky senior year because that was the march to the Heisman Trophy. But, Rod, you start looking at his junior year when Texas was 4-7 and seven under John Mackinick mm-hmm. when they were terrible. Nasty. You realize he averaged 6.8 a carry? Yeah. 6.8 yards a carry. Yeah. That's like Vince Young numbers. Yeah, and they had but what they were two hundred and thirty pound running back. What else did they have on the team though? You had an injured James Brown. That was it. <laughs> everybody in the stadium, everybody watched on TV. Knew everybody knows Eleven's getting the ball. So it was so impressive, but yet so debilitating, right? Because everybody knows he's getting the ball, and yet still this dude's averaging almost seven yards a carry. But you have no other threat really on the field. So it's like, well, all right, well, we just got to make sure on one of these downs we keep him to less than three yards. So <laughs> one of these downs. Can we so we know he's getting the ball. We know he's getting. We's always only so many angles he can get the ball too. Can we, on what? And we know there's only so many good offensive linemen. If on one of these downs, we gotta hold him to less than like three yards. And then if you do that, it's like all right. All right, they'll screw uh, up and throw an incompletion exactly. at they some gotta point. They got to throw it. They got to throw it. It's like, hell, why would you throw it? Just keep just giving it. Ricky. I just kept giving it to Ricky. Just keep giving it to Ricky. It, that's what Bucky Gobble did. Long, like it's what Dave Wanstead did. Unless it's third and ten, I'm giving it to Ricky. R- Ricky's junior year yeah. and Deontay Foreman's junior year are very similar in the sense that both of those defenses, 97 and 16, both those defenses were so historically bad, bad. that you can run for – 250 and three touchdowns, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. Because defense is going to give up 45 points. And we're going to score quickly on that D, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the Big 12 era, I should say. And you probably that have did, a pretty flawed way to come from behind if all you're doing exactly. is running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it, like Bobby yeah. Jack Wright putting Aaron Humphrey at Mike Linebacker. Yeah, that was a team. Rod, Rodby, you, you played with Aaron Humphrey. I did. I played with Aaron Humphrey. He was playing DN by the yeah. time I got here, which was where he needed to be. Yeah. He was a ferocious DN. 
Um, but yeah, man, our our D our defense line was nasty back then. I mean, I came in, I think it was Cedric Woodard, uh, Aaron Humphrey, Casey Hampton, and Sean Rogers was the hmm. D line, I believe, when I came in my freshman year. That's disgusting. I think that may have been the best. I, I gotta go back and look. It may have been the best D line in the country then. I mean, I gotta go back and look. If there was well, a and it line definitely was that, like the next it year. It was up there with like if it's you know with Florida State back then. I'm trying to think of who else. Maybe you know whoever was a powerhouse, Notre Dame or whatever back then. Because I can't think. You got. I think Casey was a first round pick. Sean Rogers was a second round pick. Cedric Wood played in the NFL mm-hmm. for like five, six years. Yeah, he was he a was late pick. round pick. And A Hump. And he got a cup of coffee. Like you know, but you know, he that's a guy that probably could have played in the NFL if he didn't keep getting hurt. Um, but I don't know. That D line was so good, man. It was ridiculous, unbelievable. We couldn't even practice. I remember them having to like stop. <laughs> Casey. Pra- yeah, like like man, take Casey, take like literally get him, take Casey out of there. Gonna man, hurt our guy. Gonna play. It's like, well, it's not his fault. He's just trying to work his craft. You know yes. what I mean? It's like, no, with him and it's like, no, he's got to be. We got to practice with just him, with Sean or him. We couldn't have both of them practicing against the O-line because it, and our O-line was pretty damn good back then. Remember, you had O-line back then. It had Mike Williams, Leonard Davis was on that O-line. Mm-hmm. That O-line was pretty damn good. Yeah, no, Roger Racer was an All-American one year. There wasn't no scrub O-line, but, dude, when those two D-tackles was together, dude, they were just, I don't even know how we, I don't know how we did, well, we did play in the Big 12 title game. That's what well, we did twice, actually. Well, so, yeah, I took it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah take it, we did play in the Big 12 title game. I was like, I don't know how we did. 1999 season, yeah. he was All-American still, and that was, what, his sophomore year? God, he was, yeah, that D-line was so nasty. Like, anyway. hey, if you look at Casey Hampton's numbers in 2000, what do you have, like 21 tackles for loss? That's a freaking nose tackle. Like, how do you do that? Did he lead us in tackles one year? I think he was the leading one, tackler, one yes, players. Rod. Yeah. If you guys can talk think amongst yourselves, I'll, no, no, I'll find think that. Think about that for a second, guys. Think about that. A D tackle. We got to go back and do the research. I wish some, I wish college football reference or somebody do the research. Honestly, do, football reference needs to do it because they can do NFL and college. How many times in the history of football has a D tackle led their team in tackles? Like that just it de- it defies football logic. How yeah. the hell can that can it happen? Total dominance. And we're we weren't bad. We weren't a bad defense. They had good players on that defense, but he was just that his effort and I will. Think y'all, I think y'all led the nation in either total defense or run defense that year. And most of it was because of him. I mean, his will was unbelievable. He couldn't be blocked. I remember that look, yeah, when Casey gave you that look, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when you gave up that third down, you know, curl you, route. You told the story before. Yeah. God, dude. I, I mean, I might, I, I still get chills thinking about it. I just remember, like, I still remember the, the sequence. Because I think we only gave up a field goal, but I gave up a, a crucial. And, man, it had to be a third and long. It had to be a third and maybe a third and 11 or something. Gave up the inside leverage. Uh, guy caught it and. I remember Casey yelling, but I wasn't paying attention on the field, but we came back. It's the first time that Casey, while I was on the sideline, came to talk to me during a game. And he's like, he's like, Rod, Rod. I'm like, I just had my head down. He's like, he's like, Rod. And I was like, what's up, man? What's up? He's like, what happened on that curl route? And I was like, like he knew the route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened on that curl route? I was like, man, I gave up the inside leverage. I gave up the inside leverage. I was like, this is my bad. I'm sorry. He's like. He said, come on, man. Come on. Don't give up the inside left. You got to focus. And literally, I just remember my heart beating. I was so scared that he was going like, to, I don't know why I was scared. I just thought he was going to do something. He was so angry. He was so mad. And he was, yeah, he just walked off and he did his thing. But 
it stuck with me still to this day. I remember it. You know what I mean? Like it was like that was his leadership. He was like, no, he knew the route. He knew you gave it up. He knew who gave it up in the defense. He knew what everybody was supposed to be doing. Robbie, you gave that up. You was in man coverage. Like he knew. You know what I mean? Hero. D linemen are supposed to pay, pay attention to that. You know what I mean? But he knew. It was a quite threatening way to oh, be accountable. Dude, it was. <laughs> Here are Casey Hampton's numbers from the yeah. 2000 season. Uh, he was tied for the team lead in tackles with Didi Lewis, who was the middle linebacker, middle linebacker. on that team. Didi Lewis, you played uh, in the league for like seven years. 78 tackles, 41 solo. And keep in mind, this is your nose tackle, okay? Mm-hmm. 78 tackles, Crazy. three and a half sacks, 18 tackles for loss, 18 tackles 22. 22 pressures, four, four forced fumbles, oh, and he broke up two passes. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, batting down balls back in wow. the day. Wow. So he tied for the team leading quarterback pressures. He Rod uh, Casey Hampton had more tackles. Uh, had had more uh, led pe- team in tackles for loss. Let's see. What number am I looking at? That is freaky, man. Seven. Oh, this is passes batted down. Passes batted down, he had two. And, uh, yeah. He had Corey two. Redding had three for the team lead. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and he led the team in tackles three of the 11 games. That's awesome. Like everybody else has. I thought that was PBUs, CU. Ron. I was going to make a joke, man. Did Casey Hampton have more PBUs than you did? But no, you had 10. Quentin Jammer had freaking 20 pass breakups. Yeah, because uh, we couldn't catch. I mean, we were both two starting corners and they couldn't catch. I remember that. In position, though. Not in position the all the time. Yeah. It's like your job's to not let the wide receiver catch. Yeah, you. and I think the next year, I want to say the next year, I lead the team in PBUs. Because they kept throwing at me. Because it was like, well, we're <laughs> throwing that jammer. We're throwing this other scrub over here on the other side. I love uh, the yeah. new record books, too, because all it is is somebody scanned, like, the media pamphlet Old that school. they give you. Like, it's on their <laughs> crooked. Like, like, literally, there's no more HTML. See how it's sort of crooked on there, and it's just, like, a copy yeah, it's like machine. The dark, <laughs> it gets darker. The, yeah. It's the outline. A yeah. good Xerox. No doubt. But that, you know, and, and I, I love this story because Matt kind of talked about what changed his view when you have a bad game. And you can't just throw the whole team under the bus. He said it was that Oklahoma game uh, that you yeah. guys lost in 2000, 63-14. blown out. Where, Rod, I don't know if you remember, apparently Mac ripped into you guys after the game. He and did. He just, got on everybody. Yeah. You know, told you you sucked and you were terrible and you he should be embarrassed. Got on all the guys. Flashed out in anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was good. He was Matt. embarrassed. It was, his, I think, his first big embarrassment as a coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At Texas, anyway. Yeah. yeah. You lose that game that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But – and Max told the story countless times that he rips into the team and everybody's getting on the bus. And we deserved Co- it. Coach Royal pulls him aside and said, hey, you need to make sure that you don't you watch know, throw film. everybody under the bus. Because yeah. <laughs> when you go back and watch the film and see the way 64 played, you'll change your mind. And mm-hmm. well, Casey Hampton was dominant that day. Dominant that day. Yeah. You guys dominant. didn't lose 63-14 because Casey Against Hampton Against a national team. title team who could not stop him. He was in the Dama Kung Su basically that day. And we just didn't realize it because we just got everybody else played so badly, including myself. So, yeah. I mean, he's – I don't think I, I saw – I don't think I remember a bad game by Casey Hampton, truth be told. That's why, I mean, if I'm – I don't think it, I ever remember a bad game And it sounds lofty like the top ten players in school history. Casey Hampton's going to be in my top ten somewhere. Oh, man. I mean, but then – hell, yeah, what – Kenny Sims ended up being a number one overall pick. Yeah, but as D-line. good as as good as Kenny was, I don't I don't know that Kenny was as dominant. And I don't know somebody that was around in that time was probably gonna call me out. Ooh. I don't know if Kenny was somebody, as dominant don't call as, you out. as Casey Hampton was. Old school, somebody old school. Call I know you they out. will, and that's fine. Because Kenny Sims, I mean, he was a number one overall pick. Right. So he's, he was dominant now. He's pretty damn dominant, and, yeah. and, and he will tell you that. 
Oh yeah, Kenny. I know Kenny will. And you know, Steve, Steve yeah. McMichael was a part of that team. And everybody that was around the program at that point has you know good yeah. Steve McMichael stories. Yeah, every, yeah. Yeah. everybody has at least one good Steve McMichael Steve. story. Bam, Bam, Bam when, McMichael. When Kenneth Sims came on our podcast, if you find it on the SoundCloud page, he talks about. McMichael throwing a rattlesnake in his trunk just to drive up, <laughs> and then he was surprised it was dead when he got to Massachusetts. Like he just thought this thing was gonna live in there for twenty hours in the heat. Oh man, that's that, crazy. There's also the story about when he was in high school there down in Freer. There was a rattlesnake like on the practice field, and he like took off his helmet and went and killed it. Who did? <laughs> Steve McMichael. Just went and bam bammed it. Yeah. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know why he was so cool with snakes because. Yeah, because he's crazy. Casey has a story about yeah him and 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 them and snakes too. Uh, from when his was it his dad went to Texas or his uncle, Casey. Uh, Casey Stutter is a oh, legacy. Stutter is his dad. dad. Yeah, yeah. His dad, I thought right? you were talking about Hampton. Still. No, no, no. I'm I was about, like, I want to hear this. No, no. Story. no I'm talking <laughs> about yeah, yeah. His dad has a story about yeah about think, them and snakes. Uncle yeah, he was on the team Texas too, though. I know I he's got so, no yeah. Casey's got. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I, I know it's. I know it's one hell. Maybe his both. dad or uncle did. Yeah, it may be one, but he has a story too. I don't know why Steve. McMichael was so cool with snakes. I don't get that. Like, I don't know what that, what that <laughs> was like, like. But everybody has snake stories about him, and I don't understand. But see, that, that's another position, though, Rob. When you start looking at all, that, mm-hmm. when you start looking at all time stuff, that's a position we neglect as offensive line. And I know we've had the run here lately where, outside of Connor Williams, it hadn't been much to brag about. But man, you start looking at Justin Blaylock. This has got to be in that conversation. Jerry Sizemore. Yeah, probably in that conversation. Yeah, no, I agree. You got. I mean, hell, I played with Leonard Davis and Mike Williams, who are two first round draft picks, and I don't think they'll be high up as you know some of those other guys. But I mean, they were really great players, offensive linemen that I played with. Yeah, that was the one thing when we were going through the list of players, and in my head, I was thinking of position groups, and we'd all sort of mention the best at one. But offense line was the one where I couldn't think of the clear cut one. There's like those five different guys about right yeah, there that you just clear-cut? mentioned. In uh, uh, when Brockemeyer really good. Blaylock's got to be up there. Blaylock uh, and Leonard were in my mind just of my lifetime. That mm-hmm. seemed like the two. It was Leonard and then Blaylock came in and Blaylock was a unanimous All American. Um, I say Jerry Sizemore's got to be up there too. Yeah, Jerry Sizemore was a two-time yeah, unanimous All American. Yeah, you yep, got, so you got those guys. Jerry Crazy. Sizemore's got to be. See, yeah, up there. you don't think about that. Yeah, O line not getting a lot of love, but you're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Dan Neal, two-time All-American. Not as high-profile as some other positions, but I mean, there's guys that if you're putting together a top ten, if you're list putting together deserve, that, yeah, that list deserve some consideration. I don't know if any one of them will crack the top ten though, and that's unfortunate. I don't think so. That's no. only no, a that's for sure. Most of that is bias. I will agree with that, but I don't know if if any Longhorn fan you throw out there and poll them, they'll they wouldn't put them in the top ten. So if we're doing like that next the next five, we're down to Bobby Lane, Johnny Johnson. For sure, right? I so say yeah. I say sure. Johnny Johnson is six. I say Bobby Lane is seven. So for sure, those guys are in the top seven all yeah. time. So then that basically leaves three spots in the top ten. That leaves mm-hmm. three spots, and those three spots, yeah, you can. I mean, <laughs> they're probably twelve guys. You probably could argue for those three spots if you want to. Yeah, like yeah. legitimately. You know what I mean? Like you, you That's in terms of get, how you want to how you want to grade because, like you said, if you want to go by all American status, then hell, you're gonna have some offensive linemen and. Some other guys that are probably going to end up cracking that, you know, cracking in that top ten. And that's total message board fodder. Like that definitely will get the yeah. conversation and arguments about. No, I agree. This one's better. Or I, this um, one. Yeah, I'm trying to think who I would put at seven, eight, and nine. My or seven, eight, eight, nine. nine. I mean, sorry, eight, nine, ten. Eight, nine, ten. My eight, nine, ten would probably be in order. 
probably Derek Johnson, Jerry Gray, Casey Hampton. Pretty good. Man, you got all defense. Yeah. Wow. And the top five was because, four well, or five offense. Well, think about it, though, Rod. I mean, can you, can you put another running back up there, and who would it be? No. Like with, now, like with Cedric Jamal Benson, and Deontay are close, but they're top 20 and Benson. I we would say Benson. I guess Benson and Jamal Charles could end up in that conversation. But. Yeah, I mean it's tough, man. It really is. Like, like I said, you you can go with you can go offense and go with you know a couple of those guys. Like basically, you, go you with do it. Benson, top five those. or a top twenty. Like it's hard to do a top ten. The top ten is tough. Top ten is tough. The top ten is tougher than a top twenty. Top twenty would be easier. Yep. Because I wouldn't feel as bad. Nope. And then <laughs> you know, people might people might want to put uh people might want to put Roy Williams on there, but Rod, you. You've gone on record Jordan saying Jordan has got to go higher than Roy Williams. And yeah. You've gone on record saying that because of how Roy Williams played in the Oklahoma game, he can't be number one. I have more touchdowns in the Oklahoma games than Roy Williams. That's, that's, that's crazy. It sounds, that like like facts. it sounds like a that riddle. It sounds like a riddle. That ain't fake news, people. That's facts right that there. That is facts, man. That's not a lie. So I, I can't say he's the, 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 the GOAT of wide receivers at Texas. I think that's Jordan Shipley. And does Jordan Shipley crack the top ten if he's the GOAT? No. For me, no. He's close, but eh, Man, he's, he would be. He's in the argument for those eight through ten, but I don't. I don't know. even know if Jordan Shipley would crack my top fifteen. That's no disrespect to him. I don't even know if he's in the top fifteen for me. So no wide receiver cracks your top fifteen because because if I'm if I'm gonna take like Casey Hampton at ten, if I'm gonna take Casey Hampton out, I probably put Jerry Sizemore up there. Um. Man, yeah, the Casey Hampton thing. <laughs> that argument now. Now you, I am now convinced as a as a Casey Hampton former teammate that. Damn, man. say, Rod, you played with the guy. There. No, he yeah. is. He. I'm just trying to think of, is there a better D lineman at Texas than Casey Hampton? I mean, Scott no. Appleton you would probably put in there because he won the Outland Trophy. And then Kenneth Sims was the number one overall pick. Yeah. So I yeah. guess you got and two I think guys. Didn't Kenny win the Lombardi Award? Yeah, think, so you got two maybe. guys in that conversation. But, I mean, look, well, if, we're, if we're going to talk about. doesn't need to be. I don't left. think a there at that. But if you're going to talk about. He's in that group if we're going and starting saying five. But, yeah, I put Casey Hampton up there, and a DJ would almost make my eight, nine. Like, I'm at about nine by now. And those guys are more decorated than Casey. Yeah, if you're going to talk about like Casey, D- D- just like a, like, he's like a folk hero. Well, and that's where, like, how do we <laughs> define like, this? You have to be a Texas football fan to yeah. have the Casey Hampton one high because in terms of accolades, I don't. I think those other guys are more decorated probably. Same I mean, with Brian Arakpo fills up the damn – Earl above them. Brian exactly. Arakpo fills up the damn trophy case just one season. I mean, he won exactly. the, the Lombardi, the yeah. Hendricks. I think he won the Nagurski Award or yeah. the Benaric, one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that ain't what it's about. It's like it my, my DBU rank is why Nasty Nate, Nathan, Nathan Vasher is probably the least decorated, <laughs> yep, like, Longhorn DB great ever. And if you watch Texas football, you're like, oh, yeah, that ain't crazy. But see, Nathan Vasher mm-hmm. Vasher's in my top 15 because if I'm doing a DB ranking, my, my, Mount, like my DBU Mount Rushmore, right, would, and we, Rod, you and I have talked about this, would mm-hmm. be Jerry Grant, Johnny Johnson without question. No question. You got to put them on. Yeah, you got to put them both. I put Earl Thomas in there because even though it was two years, no, you it, got was no, two, it was two brilliant years. You get no complaint from me at all. And, if and, any Logan fan complains about that or mm-hmm. disputes it, then they're ignorant. And, okay? I got, and, I, so and for me, <laughs> I got to put Nathan Vasher in there even over the two Thorpe Award winners because, and maybe it's just because I was like in high school when you guys started that run, when I think of the Swiss Army Knife DB that Texas made famous during this DBU run under Dwayne Aquina, it all goes back to Nathan Vash. It's him, man. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I can't. I I really don't disagree with yours at all. I I put Huff Daddy on it because he's a Thorpe Award winner, and you know he was he kind of he's basically the uh you know the apotheosis, the apex of the DBU reinvention at that time. Uh, but. Jerry Gray, Johnny Johnson, Michael Huff, and I'll put Nathan Vasher there too. He's in my, yeah. my he's on mine too. So 
But yeah, I mean, you talk about top ten, top twelves, whatever. I mean, James Street's got to be in there somewhere, right? Mm. But yes, James Street. Yeah, I mean, I think James Street's a little lower. But he's I, like Jamal Charles. It's a small window of success. It's or Earl. Like it's a tighter thing. You only have yeah. sixteen games. He did good during it, but you even hear people talk about that time that he wasn't the X Factor guy of that team. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. You're right. I, yeah, I think you're right. At this point. I'm gonna go with. I'll probably go with Casey in my in that eight, nine, and ten. One of those spots. I think I'm persuaded to do that too. Man, that now that is that's and that actually is a kind of a controversial opinion. I don't know if everybody would have him in the top ten. So we got a few minutes left on the show this week, and, and I mentioned running back, and uh, you know I, I'm, t- I'm kind of breaking up my off season content, taking kind of one position group a week, and really looking at it and digging mm-hmm. into some stuff. And not to say that I won't write about quarterbacks one week down the road or I won't write about defensive backs this week if yeah. something pops up, but I think quarterbacks last week. And uh, I'm going to focus on running backs this week. And when you look at this 2019 team and the jump we're expecting this offense to make, Rod, how much of that jump? We talked last week about the, the growth of Sam Ellinger, and that's a huge part of it. Right. Big part, and the biggest part. Larry Fedora and Andre Coleman, what they're going to bring to help kind of bring along this offense, help it take the next step. But how much of what we're expecting in this offense is due to we just expect Keontae Ingram to be that much better than he was last year? Um, yeah, I mean the running game has got to be a big part of it, right? I mean you're talking about the the power spread or the pro spread, um, and that's why Jordan Whittington's presence I think is going to be big too because you want to be able to balance that running game with many different components. Right. All right, you don't want to have to be overly dependent, over-leveraged, over-exposed with just one, you know, like that Deontay Foreman year. Yeah, that was great, but everybody was holding their breath all the time, too, because, like, man, anything happens to that guy, that's all they have, really, on mm-hmm. offense. You know what I mean? And you want to balance that running game. You want to diversify those those touches, and that's why, you know, Sam being a running quarterback, then having Keontae Ingram, then having Jordan Whittington, they're going to complement one another and make each other better. Right, the reason that Keontae Ingram is going to be more effective is because they do have to worry about the running, the, the running threat from the quarterback, and it's going to make a guy like Jordan Whittington more. And you would also you want to add another running back there too. I, I think they do want to add another running back to that group. They would like to balance it with like two or three different types of backs because they're all going to play different roles. I think for them, yeah, we know the Whittington role is going to be different from the Keontae Ingram role. Sometimes those guys should be in the backfield together, but I think they want they want a, a, a power back too. I think they that's why they want you know the Daniel Young experiment to work a little bit too. Yeah, would, I, I think you can attack that one or two ways, Rod. I think you need a third guy because you can't be you can't have your offense be held hostage to if one of those two guys gets hurt. Exactly. You know, that's a wheel falling off the car. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to protect yourself from that. So you can attack that one or two ways. You can either say, okay, we really have faith in Danny Young that he's not going to put the ball on the ground and is going to be the guy that he showed as a freshman he's capable of being. Or two, and I think this is the road they're at least kicking the tires and maybe they go down this road all the way. You got one spot left to add somebody. Maybe oh, you yeah. just say, hey, Let's go see if we can get Tavian Feaster in here. Yeah, a little transfer, a little graduate transfer. Yeah, yeah something like that. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think they do. I think they want to have the – so because they want to be able to pound people into submission with the running game if necessary, yeah. especially in the Big 12. And you can't just do that with 
Sam because exactly. that's risque. All right, we know he can do a little bit, and we want him to do a little bit. We like that, but we don't want to unleash Bam Bam Sam we know until we have, we have to play. Option. Yeah, until it's Georgia college football playoff. Then mm-hmm. hell yeah, you know what? Sam Ellinger, twenty-two carries. You know what I mean? Like we don't want it. We want him to be a complimentary piece to the running game. Like in the NFL, the playoffs, you saw quarterbacks running all over. Yes, because like, well, now we got now it. we can do now it. we can in do it. We got, we got it. exactly. Or hell, um, it's like, go back to two thousand five. It's like Vy, right? Like, yeah, against Ohio State. In a horseshoe, you're probably gonna get the hell beat out of you because we're gonna need you to carry it 20 times and probably have your hand on the ball 50, 60 times by yourself in this game to win it. Exactly. But the next week against Rice, maybe we can throttle back a little bit and let Jamal Charles and Selvin Young and Ramont's Taylor there take you go. it over. Yeah, and against LSU, yeah, maybe you need to unleash Bam Bam Sam to win that game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's why you want to make sure you have a lot of different guys that you can go to. And you know, like I said, it's gonna be a pick your poison offense, man. It's gonna be pretty simple. You're either going to try to stop this power running game that we present, all right, because now the offensive line is revamped and we got a lot of different threats in the backfield that can hurt you, or you're going to have to stop this passing game and we got threats that go deep and they're and they're big and they're rangy and they're athletic. Colin Johnson is Mr. 50-50. We got, uh, you know, we got Epps on one side, can go to him. He's 6'7". DuVernay is a track star. Burt's a track star. So we can take the top off of any defense or we can pound you. So I think it's a pick your poison. And once that defense decides, all right, we're going to stop A or we're going to stop B, then Texas goes, all right, you want to stop Colin Johnson in the passing game, fine. We're just going to run the football. Right. And then we'll RPO you, and then we'll play action you, and then we'll use the quarterback running game. And, you know, yeah. I think I think it's, it's going to be a pretty simple recipe. And you have the, the bevy of options sort of now, which you haven't really had the last few years, which at times can make you be more predictable. So this is only going to help when, again, supposing defenses, the, the idea that you're having one a safety being allocated over the top to hold somebody away. Or if not, well, you got to keep them in the box to be able to stop the run. Yeah. And it's like, only okay. going to, no matter what, well, yeah. the RPO, it's going to decide who's wide open. It's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you don't want to stop, if you don't want to put a safety over Colin Johnson, and Devin DuVernay and John Burt and Malcolm Epstein, okay, that's cool. But if they're one-on-one, man, we're checking that all day, every day. Yeah. Because he can, he can catch any 50-50 ball. Let me ask you this, Rob. When you look at Keontae Ingram, do you see a guy that can be the number one running back on a conference championship slash playoff team? Um, yeah, you got to find number one running back too. You know what I mean? I, I you know, think about that 2004, 2005, you or know, Texas. national title teams for Texas. You know what I mean? Like that's, you had, it was spread out over so many different in theory, guys. You had a number one in Benson when you didn't win, but when you had a bevy of options, you won. Yeah. Like there was like the three, they had like three, the last time Texas had three different players rush for at least 500 yards, they won a national title. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I Production. would like Sam to end up at with 500 at the end. And, yeah, Keontae Ingram may be at 900 and maybe Whittington at around six or 700. I got, you know what I mean? I don't really need a workhorse anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just need uh, guys who are effective, and my, the yards per carry mean more to me. I mean, you can try to beat Georgia if you want to and have 2,000-yard backs, and maybe Texas will get back to that point, you know, next year. But right now your backfield is young, you know what I mean? And, and Tom Herman has already shown – I don't like to pound young backs. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? I'm not going to work these young backs. I'm not going to pound them into, you know what I mean, to the point where the, the wear and tear starts to, you can see the tread wearing down the tires already. No, I'm going to keep these guys fresh. 
So I don't think I don't think we're gonna we may not even have a thousand yard back so, next by year. By the way, you were you were eighteen yards away from having five guys rush for at least five hundred. Right? Three guys rush for at least five hundred last year. There you go. And what were you? Ten tr- you were tr- a ten win team. <laughs> you well, really I mean, you count Ellinger, you had it. That beat Georgia. Late, no, you did no because Ellinger didn't get it. He got like four seventy something. Oh I think, well right? when, I always look at the numbers when you take off second yardage, uh, which is inaccurate. So right, if we're looking right. at runs right. six seventy okay. seven from Ellinger, seven oh eight and seven eighty six from Watson. So you okay. got over two thousand from those three whenever you did take out the sack yard, it's, yeah, yeah, which is good very point. good. Good point. Ellinger finished with 482 total. Okay, so 482. He was right there. So you were close. Yeah. yeah. So this is kind of my thing, though, Rob, where I talk about a championship caliber back, right? When I think about the back making a difference for Texas offenses, like I go back to your 2001 team, and that defense, everybody knew that defense. Even though you, you lose Sean Rogers and Casey mm-hmm. Hampton, somehow you're still real salty as hell on yeah, defense, and that's – Court Redding being a year older, you had really good linebackers, plus Derek Johnson coming in as a true mm-hmm. freshman, and then probably the best secondary in the country. It's one of them. Uh, so you knew you were going to be good on defense, but the offense kind of sputtered, and then you lose that game to Oklahoma, and then you just say, you know what, just put the kid in the backfield and let him run. Unleash him. Cedric Benson goes for 1,000 yards. Do you realize, Rod, in the six games after you guys lost that game to Oklahoma with Cedric Benson getting, what, 20-something carries a game? You guys outscored people forty-two to eleven on average. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of the key to that offense because they was running. They were running kind of you know old school I formation, and you know gave him a fullback and a lead blocker, and he was a downhill runner. So it it was a perfect match. It really was to what they were doing. Uh, but I, I will say this: it, he was fresh too, man. He was fresh. Like I think he came. It was at the the Colorado Oklahoma was game. the fourth or fifth. Yeah, whatever it is. I remember being at that first game whenever so he fresh. played right after. And I mean, yeah. just watching it, it oh, just man. seemed like it was. Oh, you can't stop this guy. Yeah, he just had. He really had a burst that you you know what I mean that we hadn't seen on that offense in a while. And he 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 leaned. He always leaned in and gained yardage once he hit contact. Tom like, Herman would he love was him. Never, yeah, he was he was <laughs> never he, he was never like taken aback when he was hit. Like he was mm-hmm. never they never they never was able to, to force him into bouncing backwards. He always fell forward. It was amazing. He had through, a beautiful lean when he ran through too. the first through the first five games yeah. of the year, he had forty four carries. His first start against Oklahoma State he had thirty one. There you go. Right. He was a workhorse. He was old school workhorse man. And he was durable as hell. Yeah, don't remember. I don't remember any injuries with said B either. Man. The, only, the only one, really, and I think it messed him up even the sophomore year was a neck injury he had right. in the Big 12 championship game. You're right. Which yeah. wasn't a durability. That was just a freak. I mean, well, look, you, you go running a Mike Williams yeah. at full speed head yeah, first right. and see if you don't have a neck issue. That got about that. Yeah. Uh, that game is a fun it one. Was Mike, that game was a freak game, period. 6'4", 330 or whatever Mike Williams was. Oh, yeah, man, if you ever see that on Longhorn Network, they're in the summer replays, and definitely watch it. I, wa- I rewatched yeah. that 2013 Texas OU game was replayed the other day, and that's a fun game to watch. It was crazy, crazy watching Case McCoy. So, yeah. so you, we take into account what Cedric Benson did in 2001. Yeah, uh, and even look at like the the offense going. You go back to John McAvoy going from ninety four to ninety five. When you throw Ricky into the mix, oh, it's a great. And you bring in Sean Mitchell, yeah, yeah. yeah Priest, Priest in that backfield too. Priest, I think was ninety five the year Priest was hurt, or was it ninety six? I don't know. I remember. I at one point they said they moved Wayne McGarry out because he was a running back too. Yeah, the way he had so many running backs. It's like Wayne, you got to play wide receiver. Ricky, you got to play fullback. Like they, yep. There's so many running backs they had. He's had and a, Priest you know. got healthy by the ninety six <laughs> Big Twelve Championship. Embarrassment of riches. But you you look at that. What a what a difference a running back can make. And then you go to two thousand five. And you're coming off a year where you lose Cedric Benson. 
But you bring Jamal Charles into the program, and yeah. then that mix with Vy and Rolance Taylor Ooh. and Selvin Young and Jamal Charles, and you throw in Henry Melton as your goal line. They had so many great backs whose styles were so different, though. Mm-hmm. They all complemented one another. There was a like there was not really one copycat back, a clone back who was just like the other one. They really were all very different. Chris mm-hmm. Obanaya was like you your I mean? fifth string running back. Yeah, Obanaya and Melton and, and, were and, clean and, up. He crew. ended up being a great back in Texas too. Yeah, but that's my point. Like you look at what if there was something that. Really, that 08 offense, as good as Chris Obanaya was, was, what that 08 offense was missing, that 09 offense was missing, it was that complementary piece in the, in backfield. the backfield with Colt. No doubt. And totally agree. Regardless of what your opinion of Keontae Ingram is, right? as you said, how do you define a number one running back now? Which I think the definition has changed. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at Keontae Ingram and you look can look at Jordan Whittington, and I'm kind of with you. I think, okay, I like this mix with Sam Ellinger. But you can really add, I don't know if it's a power dimension or a playmaking dimension. Yeah, they There's need one still more. that one little yeah. like one little quarter or one little third that I you're agree. missing to round that off and really make your backfield complete. I agree with you. The complimentary style. I almost say I almost want to say, yeah, it is a power back of some sort. It's and a it's almost like a Daniel a, a, Young type. It is. It's a, it's kind of a <laughs> David Montgomery too kind of type. Yeah. Remember that David Montgomery from Iowa State? People forget, man. He's he's yeah. he's squatty, and that's why the the Bears, I believe, drafted him early yeah. on. You know why the Bears drafted him? Because the Bears run a lot of run mm-hmm. pass options, a lot of RPOs, and and RPOs plays are usually for the backs. Where are they going? In between a tackle, didn't they, they trade Jordan Howard too? Yeah, he's uh, they gone. trade Jordan, who also is a great inside runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who they trade him to? Who they trade him to? I'm not to sure. The Packers, where maybe. I think I maybe say, something I like that. Yeah, him in the but, division, anyway, but yeah. my my point being, I think that's no, what they're missing. Philly. I think he went to Philly. You, anyway. I mean, the run pass option is great, but I, the research that's yeah, been Philly. done at the NFL at Philly, mm-hmm. who also runs mm-hmm. a lot of run pass RPO. options. If you're going to run the RPAs, which, RPOs, which Texas is going to do, of course, that's why they're bringing in Larry Fedora. That's part of the reason they're bringing him in. You want to have a back that can run really, really. Uh, good and effectively in between the tackles. That's where a lot of your run pass option uh, run plays are designed to go. And that's why you see, you know, those teams having that guy. That's why, you know, Kansas City has a lot of complimentary backs too because they run a lot of run pass options. you got to have that guy that can go in between the tackles. Yeah, and it seemed like the Big 12 has just been full of your Montgomerys. Like Baylor has a new Montgomery every single year, it seems like. It's true. You're right about that. You know what? Uh, The Texans are going to do that with Deontay. They're going to start running that with Deshaun Watson. They're going to start running the run pass option. That's why I think the Cowboys, that's why they wanted to get uh, Weber. That's why they drafted that guy. They're like, no, because they're going to run a lot of – everybody's going to run more run pass options, uh, period. You mean and Bill Texas O'Brien's going to stop running Deshaun Watson <laughs> on quarterback sweep on the goal line? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Because Lamar Miller's supposed to be their complimentary piece. So, to your point, everybody is starting to – you're right. They invest differently in the running back position. Even the Patriots. The Patriots pay $12 million uh, toward the running back position, $12 million plus, actually. And they, they draft a running back in the first round. Everybody wonders, well, why? Mm. Well, because they figured out, you know what, it's not going to be one guy we're going to invest in. We're going to invest in the running back position overall, and we're not going to be over-leveraged in just one guy. That's the question with Ezekiel and the Cowboys, question with Gurley and the Rams. But what are the Rams doing? Drafting a running back early on in the second round in this draft. They brought back Malcolm Brown because they figured, all right, if we're going to invest Margin in a running back. Error, yeah, that's not one where... thing could screw us over. Exactly. If Zeke we're, really it, got arrested, yes. you would have been screwed. Exactly. So <laughs> we can't allow ourselves to be over- Tied to one guy. To tie 
tied to one guy. We can't do that. So now it's like, all right, so let's invest in the running game, mm-hmm. not just the running back position. And I think Great Belichick's point. the one they're learning like for that committee. From. Which yeah. is why I'm all about going to get Tavian Feaster, man. If yeah. you can get him, You're if right. he wants to come, then make it happen. Yeah. All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. More than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For, for Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. You can get this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews, classic shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.